going to um, do two things right now that may seem slightly self-serving, but I guarantee that if you do them, you're going to be very blessed, okay? The first thing is, I'm going to ask John Frickett, he doesn't know this yet. John, come on up. I'm going to ask him to read one little paragraph from a book that we're reading in our training school called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Again, self-serving, maybe, but you're going to be blessed. Listen to this paragraph. It starts, your pastor. Where's John? There he is. Your pastor and the services of worship need to be bathed in prayer. Paul prayed for his people. He asked his people to pray for him. Charles Spurgeon attributed his success to the prayers of his church. Frank Laubach uh, told his audiences, I am very sensitive and know whether you are praying for me. If one of you lets me down, I feel it. When you are praying for me, I feel a strange power. When every person in a congregation prays intensely while the pastor is preaching, a miracle happens. Saturate the services of worship with your prayers. See the Lord high and lifted up, filling the sanctuary with his presence. Amen. Thank you, John. Thank you. You guys ready to start praying? <clears throat> Even as I was sitting over here last week with our friend Kamran from Iran, this is a... This is a uh, Discipline that I try to practice regularly, even as I'm receiving from someone, Lord, just bless them, give them wisdom, you know, sh- show them what to share next and whatnot. So you, I just want to train you as a congregation. It doesn't matter who's up here, but um, we just want to be praying because it's God that wants to speak. It, it's God that wants to visit no matter who's up here. Amen? Amen. Okay, the second thing is, any of you, are, are you familiar with a, a game called Taboo? You know that game, Taboo? You're trying to elicit one vocabulary word from your, your players, but there's about five words that are illegal or taboo. You know what the buzzer sounds when, when, when that thing goes off, right? Any, got any impersonations out there? Little ant, there we go. Clara, thank you. My sister, she can do it right away. I've lost many time to her at, at my in-law's house. Okay, that's what I need. Okay. Ooh, I just did it. Here's what I need. I need, if the, if the word okay comes out of my mouth, can you just buzz me? Can you do that? Okay. There we go. Okay. It's a little trick to get you engaged, but it's also because I'm really trying to become a better public speaker. And I realize that that's, that's one of my filler words. It happens all the time. So as soon as you hear okay, I hear. Thank you. Thank you. There we go. <laughs> this should be fun. This should be fun. Good. I didn't say that word. I said good. <laughs> Woo. This will be good. Okay. Oh! No, come on. I have a small addiction. Here we go. It's going to get broken today. It's going to get broken today. We have been looking at the person of the Holy Spirit this fall. We've been saying, Lord, tell us who is this third person of the Trinity, often misunderstood. And so far, we've been doing it through the lens of John, right? We looked at John's gospel, and um, we learned from John that uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who uh, is the paraclete, right? He's the one who walks alongside the comforter. He's the one who facilitates our intimacy. We learned that he's the real evangelist, you know, that he's the one who's bearing witness. And uh, as Jesus was sent by God the Father, so Jesus sent the disciples. He breathed on them, and they got filled with the Holy Spirit, at least that one time, then again in Acts 2. And it's been just wonderful. Today we're changing lenses. And we're, gonna, we're asking God, show us who the Holy Spirit is. And we're going to look this time through the life and the experience of Paul. We're going to start with um, what is, kind of depending on who you're 
who you're studying, who you believe in. Probably it's one of his earliest letters. You might, there might be a little argument there between the Thessalonians and Galatians, but we're starting with Galatians and looking at what Paul said about the Holy Spirit in Galatians. Okay? I do it, I do it. Thank you, thank you. You guys are good. You're good. I like it. This, this will be fun. So before we get to the book of Galatians, the question that I asked, I said, okay, no, I didn't. I said to myself, self, self, what was Paul's experience with the Holy Spirit before he got to writing Galatians? Because Paul wasn't there with the disciples when Jesus breathed on them, so they received the Holy Spirit in the the, uh, book of John. Paul wasn't there, uh, at least not in the same fashion, as uh, all the followers in Acts 2 who received the Holy Spirit in a really powerful way. He wasn't there. So when the narrative of the early church picks up with with Paul, I want to know what is it that he experienced in terms of the Holy Spirit. And this is what we find. Walk with me a little bit through Acts before we get into Galatians. Okay? Ooh, sorry. Now I'm I'm catching myself. Okay? Ooh, no. Ah, ah. (laughs) It's going to be hard. I'm getting weaned off. It's so difficult for me. This is good. This is good. When Paul shows up on the scene in Acts 9, of course, he's blown off his horse, and the command that he gets is to go to the city and have this guy, Ananias, pray for him. When Ananias prays for him, he says, hey, the Lord commanded me to pray for you that you be filled with the Holy Spirit. So right from the outset, Paul has an understanding of the Holy Spirit as one who fills him and kind of does weird things like knocks scales off his eyes. Okay? There it was. Because things get a little bit rough in Jerusalem, Paul's sent back to Tarsus. And while he's in Tarsus, surely he hears of what goes on in Jerusalem. And you see that what's going on in Jerusalem, we see that Peter has this awesome experience called by God to go to Cornelius, share the good news with him, and the Holy Spirit visits that family in a marvelous way. It says that they received the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues, and surely... Paul had heard this whole event that had gone on. And yes, this is what the Holy Spirit does. He does, these, he does these kind of radical things. Later on, here we can move on, Karen. Later on, when Paul is called back from Tarsus to go now to Antioch, Barnabas, who is described as someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit, comes to get him. And the church at Antioch, they pray. And there's a guy named Agabus there. And he receives from the Holy Spirit that there's going to be a famine in the land. So Paul, we see him again kind of exposed to the prophetic bent of what the Holy Spirit does. And wow, I would have been loved to have been in this prayer meeting. But it says that when they prayed together, that the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, we need to set apart Barnabas and Saul, okay, pre-Paul, Barnabas and Saul, Paul, to go out and share the good news. So Paul, by the time we get to what he's reading in Galatians, he's really been immersed in the church that is familiar with a person, the Holy Spirit, and his works, which are kind of mind-blowing to us as uh, uh, 21st century readers and believers. And now walk with me through his trip to Galatia, okay, or Galatica. Now, this is a group of churches in what is today Turkey, okay, southern Asia Minor. And this is when you see these cities, like when we get to Acts 13, 11, 12, 13, Sorry, especially Acts 13. These are the cities like Pamphylia, Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lyconia, Lister, Derby. When he, these are the churches of 
Galatica of Galatia that he'll write to in Galatians, most likely. Few, few scholars might disagree with me, but mostly we're, we're kind of on the same page there. And what happens when he goes there? What happens in terms of his experience with the Spirit? Let's find out. Well, on the way there, they come to the island of Cyprus. This kind of wild thing happens where um, he, is, he describes himself, or Luke, the writer of Acts, describes Paul as being filled with the Holy Spirit and able to confront this magician kind of guy named Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus. <clears throat> not the same Jesus, just so you're not confused. And he's just really bold with him. So Paul has this great boldness on Cyprus. Then he moves on to the churches of Galatia, and he sees some incredible things. First of all, he preaches powerfully in this city called Pisidian Antioch. And it's really interesting that a part of his message that we have recorded in great detail in Acts 13 is, he says this, And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Wonderful. Okay, it's just a part of his message. There's liberty for people as they believe. And then an incredible, just to me, it just is an incredible, uh, like, understatement. Is, it says that Paul and his guys were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit in spite of incredible opposition at Pisidian Antioch and then later in these other cities like Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And I mean, remember that this is when Paul is, uh, you know, thrown out. He's left for dead because he's, he's been beaten because of all the opposition. So Paul... By the t- this is his first missionary journey with Barnabas, having visited the churches in Galatia. This guy has seen incredible things of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Ooh, sorry, thank you. <clears throat> mm. <laughs> now I just have to resort to noises and sounds instead of saying that, that those two letters. <sighs> awesome. Let me just give a word about the tone of Galatians. I have a, a great thing happened to Kelsey and I. Actually, it's a terrible thing that happened to Kelsey and I this week. But I, I couldn't think of a better way to describe the tone that Paul takes when he writes Galatians. He is stirred up. There is passion in him. And, and the best way I know how to explain it is to, to share a little thing that happened to Kelsey and I in December of 2006. In December of 2006, I got a frantic call from my then-girlfriend who had just been in an accident. She said, come and get me. It was on Storrow Drive. You guys are familiar with Austin, Brighton area of Boston. Storrow Drive around there. She's been in an accident. Kelsey ended up rear-ending someone. I'm going to have to do a little visual here. She ended up rear-ending someone. If you know Storrow Drive, it's, it's, three, it's six or four to six lanes, three going one way, three going the other way, with a median in the middle. But Kelsey had rear-ended someone who's trying to make an illegal left turn. They were trying to make a U-turn where the U-turn was only designed to be for the other side, right? It's shaped like this. But someone in front of her had tried to do this to make an illegal U-turn. So she, back, she rear-ended him. Not badly. She called and was frantic. We picked, I picked her up. Kelsey was a busy college woman at that time. We were doing Young Life Ministry together. I was teaching in high school. She was in college. And, and her apartment was just a few doors down from the high school so we could love on kids and meet them and, and uh, share the Lord with them. And it was, it was, you were also working as a waitress plus you're a full-time student. She just had a lot going on. So when the letter comes in the mail that says, hey, you've been summoned and you need to defend yourself, it wasn't the first thing on her list. And as a result, believe it or not, the judgment was passed against her that she was in the wrong, which is just incredible. I I realize in the state of Massachusetts, when you rear-end someone else, you usually are in trouble. But this is exceptional because because the person was making a legal left turn. And the state troopers who were there even mentioned to Kelsey that um, the the left turn was illegal. But but Kelsey didn't get the stuff together, so as a result, the the judgment was passed against her. It just blew me away. So imagine now, if I was going to write a letter to Kelsey 
This is what my letter would be like. You'd be like, honey, don't let those guys mess with you. They are so messed up. They're in the wrong. Don't listen to them. And just, oh, they're, just, they're, they're giving you a load of crap. They're giving you a load of baloney, basically. Don't listen to them. It would be a passionate letter. We were passionate this week when we found out that we... <laughs> thank you, Lord. You guys pray for us. <laughs> okay? <laughs> but my letter to her would be passionate because I love her and because I don't want her to let these people just ride over her. Now ride over us. We're married. Paul was feeling the same way. He's like, look, you guys, what you guys started, you started by grace. By, it's grace through faith that you've been saved. These other guys are coming. They're trying to mess with you. So Paul's words are really strong because he loves them. And he doesn't want them to get run over by these guys. Are you with me on the tone there? So Paul gets passionate. And what I would say is, we're going to look at his, Paul's understanding of the Holy Spirit in Galatians is, I believe that Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit is the one who brings freedom. Okay, everyone say freedom. The Holy Spirit brings freedom. We're going to look at three areas that I think Paul highlighted of freedom in the Holy Spirit and what he brings. First of all, he brings the freedom to believe. Everyone say believe. Believe. I'm going to start. If you have your Bible, why don't you start with me around Galatians 3-ish. Let's see. Let me find that. And I know it might be slightly confusing. I've got NIV in front of me. New American Standard behind me, but you'll find the truth somewhere in there. Galatians 3.2. Let's start there. Galatians 3.2. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Okay, Paul's already getting a little passionate there. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? And I'll continue. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? He goes on to give Abraham an ex- example of one who, to whom uh, righteousness was credited, not because of his works, but because of his faith. And then in verse 14, I, I'm in 314, he says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now, most of us here are aware of what's going on here. You know that Paul is is chastising them because, as I said, the whole gospel is a work of grace through faith that we're saved and not by works. In this case, there were Jewish Christian missionaries coming to say, hey, you guys need to get circumcised also. Paul is saying, stop. If any of it has to do with the law, then the cross is all foolishness and it's for nothing. So I understand that. But I'm going to jump to an application very quickly. Okay, so those of you who want a little more text analysis, forgive me. I'm going right to an application that I believe is important for us because it's what was ringing in my ears as I read this this week and studied this. It has to do with the Holy Spirit in our midst. And what I want to say to you, you know, we are a people who are longing for more of the works of the Spirit in our midst, aren't we? You know, we pray. And we've been fasting. We've been asking, Holy Spirit, more of you. And we've seen some wonderful little beginning things. For those of you who've been with us, you know, we've seen Carmen Elisa. Where, where is she? Where are you? Is she here? Is she with the kids? There you are, okay? We've, seen, we've seen a really supernatural, actually two really supernatural, medically documented healings. Her back and her ears have been really phenomenally healed. We as a leadership, and some of you, we're asking God, we want to grow in, the sta- in, in words of knowledge. You know, actually, Josh Sturgeon and I, our worship pastor, just the other day, Thursday, we were saying, Lord, 
can, you know, we want to just go share your word a little bit. Can you want to give us any information that can help along the way? He got a little picture of a woman with Coke bottle glasses. I got a picture of a person in a sling. Saturday, Kelsey and I are at the, yesterday, we were at the um, Topsfield Fair. I mean, in a, in a, in a place where there's 10,000 people gathered in, the, in you know, a three-acre uh, perimeter, it's bound to find, some, find someone in a sling. So this is a few days later, but I, as soon as I saw this guy in the parking lot, I just said, okay, Lord, here's my guy. We prayed about this last Thursday. I just went up to him, did my deal. Hey, I'm a pastor. This might be weird. Uh, I just feel like God wanted me to pray for people in a sling. Can I do that? He did the typical New England, I'm fine, thanks, but no thanks. You can pray tonight on your own. I was like, cool. But, you know, I was, <laughs> you know, <laughs> peace. <laughs> Awkward, you know. But you know what? It's okay. And the reason it's okay is because I actually, I believe that God's bring us through a process. And, you know, he, I think that before he uh, pours out his spirit on a people, he needs us to go through some fire first. So I'm just saying there's more of my reputation that needs to die. There's more of our reputation that needs to die. And um, what I want to say about this is that the Holy Spirit brings a freedom to believe. Everyone say freedom to believe. And what I think the Spirit is saying to us as a church is, I can anticipate the works of the Spirit, but I don't have to be anxious about it. Okay, I'm not going to be anxious. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep being in a posture of saying, Lord, come. But I'm not going to get wrapped around the axle and uptight. God's going to move, you know. Am I sad that it seems like everywhere else on the planet, God is doing phenomenal things except here in New England? Yes, that makes me sad. But I'm staying here. I'm digging my feet and I'm saying, Lord, until you come. Until you come, until you do more. But I don't need to be anxious about it because God's God and I'm not. He's going to pour out his spirit when he wants to. And like Jesus said, when he comes back, is he going to find faith on the earth? That's what I need to worry about. I need to worry about, will he find faith on the earth when he comes back? And whether he wants to move or doesn't is up to him. Do you know what I'm saying? But our posture is, Lord, come. So we're free to believe. We are free to believe. It's, it's, it's not by any works that, that we're going to get there. And this is where, um, you know, every movement in, 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 in Christendom has its blessing and it has also the flesh. You know, hey, here's the harbor. I think God's birthed this thing, but there's some flesh here too. When I think about the Pentecostal movement, I'm so thankful for the Pentecostal movement, you know? I think, <laughs> I think anyways, it's just wonderful about the, the Pentecostal movement is just a blessing, you know? When, right around the time when cessationism was kind of, you know, it's not that long. It's not, it's, not that, um, it's not been a long time that this whole idea that the works of the Spirit are dead, that's a relatively recent idea in history. But isn't it fun that right about that time, or after that, the Pentecostal movement was born and God kind of blew the doors off uh, people with a lot of wonderful things. <clears throat> but like any movement that becomes institutionalized or where there's just flesh, right? I think some of the things that are hard about the Pentecostal movement are there's a legalism that is that, uh, about the things of the Spirit that we, we don't need. And I, I bless them. I've got Pentecostal brothers, pastors, love them, love them. But we need to just... We're free to believe, right? We're free to say, Holy Spirit, move when you want. And we're going we're gonna to call you down. We're going to ask for more. But you come when you want. We don't have to do any human tricks. David Letterman, whatever. Human tricks uh, to get, get things going. It's good. He's having a hard time. Lord, we bless David Letterman. Anyways, Jesus. And these guys watch the news. You know he's having a hard time this week. Cool. Thank you, Lord. Okay? Believe. Everyone say believe. Okay, second thing is, God, through the Spirit... As we see experienced by Paul as he gives us the freedom to belong. Everyone say belong. 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 Ooh, and if you ask me, this is just the crowning thing of the gospel. And uh, J.I. Packer would agree. 
Actually, he wrote it first, so I agree with him. <clears throat> Freedom to belong. I'm going to start at Galatians 3.26. You are all sons, let me throw in, daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And then I'll pick it up again. Maybe I'll pick it up at, at Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the time had fully come, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you're a son, God has made you also an heir. We mentioned a few weeks ago that when C.S. Lewis was asked, what sets apart Christianity from every other thing? He just said one word, and that word was grace. grace. Okay? Likewise, when G.I. Packer is asked, hey, what makes Christianity so special? He says, grace, but in the sense of the fact that we have a father-son relationship with God, that the creator we now can call father. Okay, listen to what he says. This is a great classic, Knowing God. Anyone read it? Raise your hands. Any, any Packer fans here? This is good stuff. Let me read a little bit from his chapter uh, called Sons of God. <clears throat> this is J.A. Packer. You sum up the whole of the New Testament teaching in a single phrase if you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. In the same way, you sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's Holy Father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian, as opposed to merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. And then he goes on in this chapter to explain that even way better than justification, right? This is a miracle that we are counted as, as uh, guilt-free before God. That is a miracle. But even better than that is the fact that we can call him Father. He goes on to say that what's implied here is uh, authority. You know, we have in God, we have a, a wonderful authority. In God, we have affection, you know, parental affection. <clears throat> in God, we have fellowship. You know, we, we have an incredible fellowship with the Creator. And lastly, he says that we have honor. The fact that we're called heirs. Do you realize, isn't that incredible? God wants you to co-rule with His Son. It's amazing. And I want to throw in one word here. You know, just thinking about Zach and Gary's prayers. You know, Zach prayed, hey, kind of regardless of our experience with our parents, Lord bless us. And Packer actually kind of picks up that idea. Let me throw that in too. Because I know, again, in a room of this size, there's all sorts of different experiences with family. But listen to what Packer says in regards to that. I've heard it seriously argued that the thought of divine fatherhood can mean nothing to those whose human father was inadequate, lacking wisdom, affection, or both, nor to those many more whose misfortune it was to have a fatherless upbringing. That's some of you. I've heard Bishop Robinson's revealing failure to say anything about divine fatherhood and honest to God defended to these grounds. Sorry, there's a really low. Let me skip that. But this is silly. For in the first place, it is just not true to suggest that in the realm of personal relations, positive concepts cannot be formed by contrast. Okay? Maybe you had a bad, 
bad situation, by contrast, you can see what good is. Many young people get married with a resolve not to make the mess of marriage that they saw their parents make. Can this not be a positive ideal? Of course it can. Similarly, the thought of our maker becoming our perfect parent, faithful in love and care, generous and thoughtful, interested in all we do, respecting our individuality, skillful in training us, wise in guidance, always available, helping us to find ourselves in maturity, integrity, and uprightness is a thought which can have meaning for everybody. Whether we come to it by saying, I had a wonderful father, and I see that God is here and here and here, but God, um, sorry, and only more so, or by saying, my father disappointed me here, here, and here, but God, praise his name, will be very different, okay? His point being that good father or bad father, even by contrast, we can, we can know that there's an ideal out there of a father who loves us. And isn't this what we're all longing for? John and I were talking on Friday about a lot of, about a lot of you, our students, and um, if you feel like I'm talking about you right now, I'm talking about nine others too, okay? But what John and I were talking about was how so many of us, and I'll say us, because I'm a student too, so many of us are living by the day-to-day perception of our acceptance or rejection by other people. And it's killing us. It's eating us up, isn't it? Right? Why are we discouraged? Why are we depressed? Why are we wrestling? Because that perception of whether we're accepted or rejected by our peers is just ruling us. And what a terrible way to live. And what does Paul say to that? What does the Spirit say to that? There's freedom for us to belong, okay? And it's just wonderful. The more secure we get in God's unbelievable love for us, the more healthy our relating is to everyone else. And we're not, we're not needy all the time, needing love and needing approval and needing acceptance from others. We just get secure because we belong to God. And it's wonderful, Right? Hey, if you're feeling rejected today, and I say this often, but you've got a friend in Jesus, just read Isaiah 53, right? I mean, it says that Jesus was so not good looking that people, you know, looked away. They didn't, there's no form of him that was, that was good looking, and that people turned their faces from him. So you've got a friend. If you're feeling rejected, you have a great friend in Jesus. And you've got the Spirit of God available. And listen, I just, I can camp here for a second because this has been a struggle of my life. And I, I tell you with sincerity, and Kelsey can, can uh, vouch for this, that daily, one of my prayers is, and, and you know, this is the Galatians version, but Paul says it similarly in Romans eight fifteen. but daily, one of my prayers is, Father, I, I'm asking you, Father, just impart to me the spirit of adoption again today. I need to know that I'm loved. Father, impart to me, the spirit of adoption by which I cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. I'm no longer a slave again to fear. Then I throw in a little First John and I say, Lord, because I know that your perfect love casts out all fear. I think he lets me do that in prayer, you know? Your perfect love, I need that today. Lord, impart to me a secure masculine sense of self, you know, because that's, that's what I need day to day. And he does it and it's wonderful because he wants me to belong. He wants me to belong. He wants you to belong. You belong. You're in. I don't care what your experience with your peers is right now, but you belong. Okay, everyone say, I belong. belong. Okay, that's the truth. And a lot of times, God puts you in situations where you don't belong, so you can find him. At least that's what he did with me a lot of the time. Thank you, Lord. Okay, let's go on to the third thing. What else does he give us freedom to do? He gives us freedom to become. Everyone say, become. Okay, freedom to believe in the works of the Spirit, regardless of what we see. Freedom to belong. And then finally, he gives us freedom to become. I love this. Let's pick it up. Galatians. Yeah, 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
And then I'm skipping down to Galatians 5, 5. Chapter 5, verse 5. But by faith, we eagerly wait through the Spirit, the righteousness for which we hope. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit, the righteousness for which we hope. See the word wait in there? Or await, if you got NIV. See the word hope in there? I thought I was so clever. Kelsey and I were at the hospital the other day. She's about 10 days away from having her child. We're at the hospital and um, we need cash for the parking garage. <clears throat> so I go to the citizens bank machine and we go, this like happens every time. It's actually kind of funny to me. What happens, we go to a cash machine. This is the ritual like every time. We go to the cash machine and I say, what? Only English and Spanish? Why don't they ever give French as an option? I just get all snooty about it, right? <laughs> from working in the city of Newton, I know there's one cash machine in the city of Newton that has English and French and Spanish and Chinese as an option. I was at Cabot's, remember that? At the ice cream place? Yeah, I would know that. Anyway, so I get all upset. Anyway, so English, well, I'm like, honey, check this out. I'll try Spanish because she's the Spanish speaker. I'm the French speaker. I'm like, I can do this. Watch. Boom, boom, boom. And then, you know, while I'm waiting for the money to come, I recognize this root word, you know, espere. I don't know how you say it in Spanish. But, you know, and I go, ah, oh, cool, espere, right? I mean, that must be, that's to wait in Spanish, but cool. And espere in French is to hope. And, you know, I was like, ooh, that's cool. Kelsey, with, she, she's awesome. She knows how to handle me. She's like, Kelsey just looks at me and says, they mean the same thing, don't they? Right? And I was like, wow. I was like, honey, theological insight. Good. Hope and wait, don't they mean the same thing? And Paul has it captured so well, right? We all live in this tension between the now and the not yet. And Paul understands we live in this tension, and it's okay. There's grace and there's freedom for us to become. So then we get to this awesome imperative. Paul has two big imperatives in all of his writing. One is love, and I just totally lost Galatians, is love, one another. But another huge imperative he has is live or walk by the Spirit. Okay, listen to this. I'm at Galatians now 5.16, picking up this whole idea of the Spirit enabling us to live the life we want to, to become the heirs that we are meant to be. He says, Galatians 5.16, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Okay? I remember reading that as a high school student and just thinking, God, is this a cosmic joke that you're playing on me? Because 99 times out of 100, I choose to satisfy my sinful nature. I'm just stuck in sin. Maybe one time out of 100. If I just will it enough, I'm able to walk by the Spirit. What does that mean? To me, it just seemed like this ethereal, huge kind of out of place thing. I thought, this is just for the spiritual elite, and I'm never going to understand this. As I was preparing for this week, God kind of gave me a small little analogy that I thought was wonderful. I said, yes, Lord, this is it. What does it mean to live by the Spirit? Well, one of the things that we are contesting kind of during this whole, or or one of the things that we are stating during this whole uh, series, the Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity. And so when when Paul gives us the instruction to walk, sorry, that could be disastrous for you. (laughs) He gives us the instruction to walk by the Spirit. What I think of is how I walk now by Kelsey. So let me first start with a marriage analogy. And then you don't have to be married. I'm going to go to another analogy. And that is, one of the wonderful things about being married is, there's a whole aloneness that I don't feel anymore. And even if Kelsey's not in the house, that aloneness isn't there. 
Okay? It used to be, even when we were engaged, it used to be I would go home and there'd still be an aloneness there because we, we didn't have this covenant and we weren't together sharing everything. But when we got married, even if Kelsey's not at the house, when I come home, the loneliness isn't there. I'm physically alone in my house, but I don't feel it anymore because we're married. And it's wonderful. And I, so it's, I live by Kelsey. In other words, I'm not saying there's this weird codependent thing going on where I'm enmeshed in her. But what I'm saying is like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what I am saying is the loneliness is gone because she's, she's here, even when she's not here. We're married. You don't have to be married to understand this analogy. When I'm just chilling at the office, right? 222 Cabot, Sweet 9, come visit sometime. But don't stay too long because i got to work. But, <laughs> right? I'm chilling at the office, and I'm just there, and it's me and Jesus. And we're just chilling, I'm working, and it's great. Then Sarah DeBear comes in, our administrator, co- um, adults person. And things change. It's not this huge deal. Sarah and, I, Sarah and I can work together and not talk like for eight hours of time. It's wonderful. But when she's there, obviously Sarah brings like a sweetness, a tenderness. She's the presence of God. You know, Sarah's just incredible. But like things in the room are different. We don't say anything, but the things have changed. Then John comes in, the college pastor, not as quiet of a presence. <laughs> it's wonderful. But I get excited, you know, everything starts to spin up like, God's great, isn't he? Ah! That's amazing, right? <laughs> And things have changed. All I know is that, see, there's all sorts of different combinations here. Just me and John, just me and Sarah, the three of us, just me. And every situation is different. You know what I'm saying? That you're fundamentally changed by the presence of another. I'm suggesting the same thing here. That living by the Spirit means that we are fundamentally changed by the presence of another. And the good news is, the Spirit of God can get more inside of me than anyone. In other words, if there's anyone who, who I, by, whom, by whose presence I can be fundamentally changed, it's the Spirit. That's what I get excited about. When Paul says, walk by the Spirit, it's not this, ah, you know, stars, or whatever, just spiritual elite thing. But it is, there's a person living inside me, and I can live different. Okay, there's hope today for you. And don't you know that I know what it's like to have this person living in, in me? I have a sad thing to share uh, because I know that this person is real. And that was the moment, and this is hard sometimes for my wife to hear, we talked about this, but I remember the first day that I ever looked at a pornographic image in 1998. The sad thing was, was that, or the ironic thing was I was doing our training school. It was the Antioch training school. The, the equivalent that we have here is the Navigate training school. In other words, it was supposed to be a year where I was set apart for the purposes of God. And yet in my brokenness and my fallenness, and I'll never forget this image, sadly, I've looked at tens of thousands since then, sadly. But that first one, I'll never forget. And I remember when I was clicking on that mouse, my hand was trembling. And my whole body started to tremble. Because there's a presence of another inside me. It is the Holy Spirit. When I started to, you know, you guys know, what's the artist's name who did The Scream? Uh, you know that painting called The Scream? Not Dolly. Who is it? Sorry, I can't. Okay. The Scream. Sorry, I can't. Edward, okay, awesome. You guys know that, that picture? I wish I should have put it up there, but the scream. I feel like if there was a picture of the Holy Spirit at that moment, when click, click, and I went to my first pornographic image that I ever saw, that was the Holy Spirit screaming, saying, Neil, what are you doing? You're going to ruin your life, <laughs> basically. And, and the ensuing struggle of sexual addiction proved that to be true. My point there being that the Holy Spirit lives inside you, and uh, he's a real person, and I, I know it. He makes me tremble when I go to sin. And of course, Kelsey and I have had to deal with some of the consequences of that terrible choice. One little click about, what was that? 
uh, 11 years ago. But God's good, and He gives us the freedom to become. God gives us the freedom to become the men and the women of God that He's wanted us to be, right? <sighs> Let's look at more of this list, or, or more of uh, His argument here. Paul, we're doing good. Are we? Yes. Okay, shoot. Let's, let's we'll, we'll cruise here. The acts of the sinful nature, speaking of that terrible choice that I made several years ago. The acts of the sinful nature, I'm in Galatians 5.19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. And I guarantee you that God's got you with the people he's got you with right now. So some of this stuff can come out so we can work on it. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I love how Paul appeals to your identity, right? Your identity is an heir. We're to be heirs. That's why these things are unbecoming for us. Because we are becoming heirs. And he says this then. 522, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. You guys just repeat after me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Sorry, I switched the order. I like to do that sometimes. Make sure you're paying attention. That's who you are. That's who the Spirit gives you freedom to become. Amen? Amen. You do have a choice. And listen, he kind of ends with this thought, or I'd like to end with this thought. A little bit further in in, uh, Galatians 6, verse 7, he says, Don't be deceived. I want to leave us with this warning that you can become, by the Spirit, the woman, man, heir of God that he's calling you to be. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please the sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. I prefer the New American Standard. It says corruption. There's no better word for what's happened to my soul in that particular struggle with pornography. Corruption. My soul has become corrupt in different ways. God is good. He's a healer. And he's healing me. And he's restoring me. He's restoring our marriage. And it's wonderful. It's excellent. <clears throat> but the one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And there is grace for you to reap eternal life today. Amen? Amen. Amen.